May the 4th be with you. I don't go in for a lot of the cheesy holidays, but today is May the 4th, the day we're recording this particular podcast in the year of our Dark Lord 2021. And May the 4th is Star Wars Day, as in may the force be with you, but there's some sort of lisp involved. I can't believe there hasn't been a protest at some point about you can't do that, you can't say that. But so far, so good. May the 4th be with you. Wasn't Star Wars well into the future? No. A long time ago in a galaxy far, far away. Now, I, I if know, you but take... with all that technology and everything else they had, they didn't have DNA kits, so he could find out that Darth Vader was his father well, long well, before then. That would have been a fun series. Yeah, find out within 15 minutes of the first movie. Luke, else, I'm your father. Ev- I know. Everyone else knew before Luke. <laughs> exactly. uh, you know, Idiot. Aunt Peru and Uncle Owen knew. 23 uh, and me. Obi-Wan knew. Yeah, everybody knew except for Luke because he couldn't know. Because if you remember, if you watched all the way through some of the crappier episodes of the entire series, his father wanted to kill him. So they had to hide him on a desert planet and et cetera, et cetera. We've all been down this path. Growing up, Star Wars was very, very important to me. Star Wars came out when I was nine years old. So... During the course of my youth, when it was still okay for boys to play, well, it wasn't okay for boys to play with dolls, despite what Free to Be You and Me said, action figures, 100% cool. Action figures, in fact, action figures were my favorite toys of my entire youth. And it wasn't just Star Wars, it was was Micronauts, it was, oh, there were so many. G.I. Joe with the Kung Fu grip. I didn't have the Kung Fu grip, but I did have the the RV, you know, and he, um, there was also, uh, was it Big Jim? Somebody he had a whole team with him, like a, one guy had a metal hand, another Native American guy had a whip. Anyway, don't want to get too far away from Star Wars. They don't want to make this take too long. People. I didn't have so the Star Wars. They actually kind of were, but but like but like a cool but like a cool hetero safe village people. Are you saying that the village people were not? Cool let's not. Let's of, okay. no. I didn't say they weren't cool. I own every single Village People record, and the, rec- the 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 poster that came inside of Go West, uh, which folded out into a five uh, a five frame folder, was above my hmm, was above my closet in my bedroom. You know, your and water my, bed right above your. Water I didn't bed. have a water bed. I did not have a water bed. Anyway, we're still getting too far away from <laughs> Star Wars. My by the way, my name is Brian Oak. That's Sean Bernard. Hi, Sean. I am meandering Sean. Uh, Yes, yes, you are. (laughs) Episode 153 of the Brian Oak Show podcast. And um, I I am excited that it's May the 4th because Star Wars really mattered a lot to me growing up. The action figures really were my whole thing. Like I clipped out the back of the Mattel things that you bought them in and I got the tall snaggle tooth. Like I have a couple collectibles, but I played with them. I, I, I didn't keep them in mint shape. They're not worth a fucking damn right now, but I don't care because my youth was rich with imagination and space opera and I loved it I loved it so much and I never had the the Millennium Falcon which I was a little jealous about but even more so I had a neighbor rich who had the TIE fighter and the TIE fighter was fucking cool to go along with those things I did however have one year for Christmas one of the greatest gifts I'll ever remember getting was the three-story Death Star playset no way bottom floor had the trash compactor Top floor had the giant to take down (laughs) the invading X-Wings and Y-Wings and A-Wings that were coming in. Star Wars mattered to me, man. It influenced my entire life. Is that my phone? It is. 
Oh, man. I hate not taking that call right now. That was an important phone call, but I shut her down. We can, we can pause this. You know, no, it's not live, let's, Brian. Not, let's not. Let's okay. not. I'm gonna, I'll call back in just a minute. Um, I want to I finish this off, though, um, by saying that Star Wars mattered to me. So playing that song to open up for May the 4th, May the 4th be with you. Did I do that right? Um, <laughs> you did. It, it, you know, it, it matters to me. And the thing I wanted to move on to was... Um, I, uh, you know, the, we, you and I are both double vax now, right? We are. Double vax, so we're moving into a bold new future. <clears throat> we have a guest today who is <clears throat> steep deeper in sci-fi, comics, and things that I revere deeper than I will ever hope to be, but also happens to be a wrestler with actual belts, like belt, like the big giant golden belts you wear around the midsection. Oh, and, and... <laughs> He managed to cross those two worlds with his name and his physical acumen. I'm very, very excited to dig deep with Terrence Greep coming up just ahead. But in the meantime, I just wanted to say I revere Mother Nature. The Smart Start MN studio here where we record is located in gorgeous South Minneapolis, yes, right? Yes, right by the parkway. We're a block and a half off the parkway, which when you drive by, right now everything's in bloom. All the cherry blossoms are in bloom, the apple blossoms, everything. You can't, uh, green is exploding. It's, it's the most beautiful time of the year. My second favorite season. So Mother Nature, I ask you... I know the universe seeks a balance, but why? Why, why, why? During this most auspicious and beautiful and rewarding time of the year, do you choose to punish my aging body with seasonal allergies? <laughs> I am on an aggressive regimen of Claritin D, Flonase, which is my first year trying Flonase, whatever the hell these eye drops are called, Nap. Nafcon A, and oh, still Defcon I A. well, kind of, <laughs> and I still I feel like my head is going to explode. So, I just wanted to say um, that I appreciate spring and I love it, and I know it's not all about me, but the allergies are destroying me, and the irony is not lost on me that a man whose last name is Oak is most allergic to tree pollen. Ha ha ha! Very funny. That's why we're going to hear this song. We'll come back and talk to Terrence Creep next on the Brian Oak Show.
I Am a Tree by Guided by Voices off of Mag Earwig. Now, Robert Pollard of Guided by Voices is prolific, and I feel like I'm damning him with faint praise by calling him that because over the course of his career, he's been involved through solo projects, side projects, and his main baby, Guided by Voices, in more than 100 full albums. He doesn't really know how to edit. He gets an idea. He's like, that's going in. That's going Literally, I, I don't know how you could pot uh, more, literally more than 100 albums. Jeez, dude, take Ooh. a breath. Take a breath. Speaking of, I'm Brian Oak. That's Sean Bernard. It's the Brian Oak Show, made possible by Smart Start MN. Smart Start MN is Minnesota's original ignition interlock company. Ignition interlock is the device that allows you to get back in your car after you have had a DUI. DWI. I don't know what we call it here officially. You know what I mean. Drinking and driving. Terrible idea. People still love to do it all the time. And if you are pulled over, you will lose your license. You will also need to get back in your vehicle. Even if you're not found guilty, you're going to lose your license and you need to get back to living some semblance of a regular life. Minnesota or Smart Start MN is Minnesota's original ignition interlock company. They're the ones who came up with the system. They worked with the state legislature. They're the ones who put this together. Other pretenders interlopers have come through in the meantime but these are our guys they're they're us they're minnesota and they are the ones who can help you get back on the road and if you tell them you heard about them here on the brian oak show because well we do not advocate drinking and driving but i know that some of you out there like to play things a little fast and loose tell them you heard about them here and we can save you some money yeah 20 percent off the installation of the ignition interlock just go to smartstartmn.com Slash the Brian Oak Show, Smart Start MN. <laughs> you know what we do do on the Brian Oak Show is we talk to a wide range of guests, <laughs> and I am excited to say that today's guest is unique in the 153 episodes we've done because we've talked to musicians, we've talked to religious figures, we've talked to entrepreneurs, we've talked to a wide range of people who call the Twin Cities their home. Never before, never before have we talked to either someone who is responsible for the creation of sci-fi content comic books, and also, or otherwise, a wrestler. I don't know if I can call him a professional wrestler. Semi-professional? Amateur wrestler? Uh, uh, let's go three rounds and you'll find out. No, 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 but no one's paying you, so I guess that's my whole question. Oh, I'm getting paid. Oh, oh Christ. Did, oh, hitman. Also a hitman. <laughs> no, Terrence, <laughs> Terrence Greep is our guest today on The Brian Oak Show. Now, Terrence, you have sent me a bio that is so long and so convoluted that I'm not sure where to start. I'm just going to read some of it. You are a writer, okay? So you have written for Star Trek Monthly. Out Magazine, The Advocate, and Lavender Magazine, but also you've interviewed Clive Barker, John Waters, Ezra Tua Olo, probably the people we're most familiar with. You have done comic books for DC. In fact, I believe that was our first entree to meeting one another. But you are also a wrestler, like an actual wrestler, like tights on the bottom, nothing on the top, <laughs> smashing people off the top turnbuckle, mm -hmm. putting them on the ropes. I have so many places I want to go with this, but before we go anywhere, I want to ask, where are you from? Where am I from? I'm yeah. from downtown Minneapolis currently. You, yeah, but no, no, I know, I know, but where are you from, man? I, I grew up in Coon Rapids, so there's no shame no matter what you answer. Yeah, yeah. Well, I was actually born in Connecticut. My father was in the Navy. Okay. And I was born in a Navy base, a Navy Navy. Base, I understand. Or, or Navy base. Well, wanna... V and B are very close on <laughs> the are. palette. I understand. And it. a typewriter. 
That's I'm. Thank you. Yes. <laughs> Look, they're right next to each other. <laughs> I know. Blowing well, my mind spotted. now, man. Wow. Blowing yes. my mind. I have the Stephen Hawking thing where I'm just sort of <laughs> ty- typing my dialogue <laughs> as I speak. It's always nice to have you here, Terrence. Thank it's good to see you again. <laughs> thank you for coming on to the Brian Oak Show podcast, episode one fifty three. Um, well Terrence, wow. thank you. Oh no, I I had a radio character I was going to do a long time ago, and I decided, you know what? That's going to get more pushback than it is enjoyment so let's just leave voice box guy out of the equation entirely so you start out in connecticut how do you end up in minnesota uh, my parents are both from minnesota they were teenagers when they got married my dad, my dad joined the navy uh we went all over the place but connecticut where i was born and then as soon as my father had uh, finished his service back to minnesota we went back. so you are clearly younger than i am due to your youthful appearance i can i can surmise that immediately thank you for noticing but we're both into a lot of the same things growing up as i talked about in the beginning of the show i loved a lot of star wars right i like the sci-fi and but star wars sort of changed everything for me like there was sci-fi before that mm-hmm. but star wars was such a massive cultural touchstone for even casual fans but for already deep young single-digit age nerds like myself, (laughs) it it, it set defining parameters. It changed everything for me. But even prior to that, I was a comic book collector. I loved comic books. And, you know, people are like, oh, comic books, they're for kids. Well, I read them and collected them well into my adulthood. In fact, I still do today on a much more limited basis. But they were always literate. You know, they were always interesting. There were stories. I loved the combination of the words and the pictures when did comics, before you started doing them professionally, when did comics enter your life as sort of a, a entertainment or an influence? I had a feeling you would ask that. And that it's like three years old, I think. I, I don't know where I could have gotten them because I'm, I'm the oldest in my family. And mm-hmm. so I don't know who else had comics. But I know Superman was my first um, idol and then Batman soon after that. And um, I just... I don't remember a time when I wasn't into those things. Well, and so I, I don't know, again, I'm not going to ask you your age because I, fi- I find that impolitic, but when I was a kid and first discovered comics, it was like, you know, you go into a convenience store or a drug store, there were those racks that were point of purchase right by the checkout, and you'd flip around and there were the comic three packs, right? And so there was a, a Doctor Strange on one side and an, a Mighty Thor on the other side, and then they stuck some garbage like Casper in Dennis the middle. Dennis the Menace. Archie. Hot some stuff. Okay, so uh. you, you are old enough to remember those ridiculous three packs. But when my dad would be willing, because my dad was notoriously cheap, a wonderful man, an incredible man, probably the most influential male figure in my entire life on many fronts, he was also a notoriously cheap man. Uh, and so <laughs> I, w- I would ask every time, but every once in a while I'd get one of those comic three packs because back then you'd get three comics for what, 45 cents? Something ludicrous. Yeah. And I, again, I didn't grow up in the 1930s. It wasn't that long ago, but it was a while walk back. Walk street, walk street. <laughs> Read all about it. <laughs> Clark Kent disappears. Guy in red cape shows up. Exactly. <laughs> But, um, I, you know, I remembered and I started collecting them and I found my favorites as I was growing up. And I have to be honest, I know that you have a strong connection to DC Comics. I was always a Marvel guy, you know, I, whether it was Fantastic Four, uh, X-Men was an early influence for me, Avengers, uh, uh, Spider-Man. I mean, Spider-Man was probably my very, very first one, which I know has a p- profound influence in your life as well, as we'll get to when we talk about your wrestling career. Um, you know, DC... I read some, but even as a small kid, 
DC was almost too fantastical, like, you know, Dr. Fate shooting giant beams of onks out of his hands. At least in fantastic form, like, oh, I don't know why this appealed to me. Maybe it was my Catholic guilt, something. But there were always, like, real-world concerns that sort of limited the fantastical nature of a lot of these superheroes. Are you still, to this day, and I'm, I hate to do this because it's like asking Star Trek versus Star Wars, and I know where you land, um, DC or Marvel? Oh, all of the above. They're not. They're not. No, don't, don't give me all of the above. <laughs> DC or Marvel? Okay, DC. Okay, very. And I, I'm not mad about that. And I know that that's not fair to ask you because when people say Star Trek or Star Wars, I'm like, fuck, I love them both, you know. Um, but every once in a while, you called on the carpet as you just did right there. You, <laughs> you just did. Oh wait. Oh, I'm that guy now. Yeah, you're totally <laughs> that guy. Shit. Wow. Sorry. I, you know what? That's the Flonase talking. From now on. <laughs> yeah. Okay. <laughs> Yeah, I noticed you had medication with A in it and D in it. And I, I do it. Wow. NAFCON A, baby. Dude. It's all coming together. Oh, yeah, uh, and Claritin D. No, I'm all about trying to combat Mother Nature in whatever little way I can so that I can breathe and see. So you grew up interested in this sort of stuff. Obviously a sci-fi fan, uh, you know, probably televised. I'm guessing comic books as well. How is it that you come to be involved in the world? Actually, before we get to that, because I... I racked my brain. I went back through the depths of my social media. And I don't want you to take this the wrong way because I've always had a terrible memory. But you and I have interacted on social media for an incredibly long time. Sure. About a wide variety of things. I don't know how we first met. How did we first begin? Do you have any idea how we first started to interact? Well, technically... When we met was a few minutes ago down down in the lobby. Not in person. Physical, oh oh oh! Excuse although me. although it's wonderful to make your acquaintance, but it is odd because I, I feel like, like I feel like I've known you forever. How did do you remember how we first began to interact in whether it be the online world or any part of the actual world? I was about to say to Sean, we need to get the drunk thing going on here because I know we just met and he already forgot. Yeah, it. no, 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 no. I know we just met face know, to face. Where? How I, did? How did I, we start interacting? Because we you, bonded deeply early on about yes. Commandy, a DC comic. <laughs> but I, but I can't remember. I can't remember how we first started to interact. I, you, you mentioned something nerdy on air um, way back in the nineties. Okay, and I heard it, and I sent you something that I had written. Oh, you sent me comic books, didn't you? I sent you comic books. I, oh, my oh. God. This is what I needed because I couldn't remember. You sent me a manila envelope that had some comics that you had written inside you, of it. You even called me to thank me, and it was very sweet. And then um, we've been off to the races ever. So I think I sent an email Yeah, just because I hate the phone. Yeah, well, no, and I, I understand. I'm not a big phone guy either. Um, <laughs> and so I now now I remember because it was either at Rev 105 or the very earliest days of Zone 105. I, it was I, that. I, I, I didn't know if I was supposed <clears throat> to mention it. That's fine. Context, no, no, no. We, yeah. you, there's nothing you can't say on this show. If you want to swear, I, I mean, don't be a racist or a jerk. But other than that, there's nothing you can't talk about on this well, show. If we're going to talk about wrestling, I'll have to be a jerk. Well, okay, no, 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 no. Okay, that's not what I meant. You know I what know I mean. I mean. You know what I meant. Technical term is heel, and it's it's slightly nuanced. Uh, we'll, I don't mean to get ahead of... What's the technical term? Heel. Heel. Oh. What a heel. Don't be a heel. Don't be a heel. Or a nincompoop. <laughs> no, that's the referee. 
nice. All right, before we talk more about your yeah, comic yeah. career and your wrestling career, okay, okay. this show is ostensibly and primarily about music. For me, even if someone's not a musician, the music they enjoy, I don't think it defines them, but it helps inform the outsider as to who they might be and the kinds of things they like and like, like enjoy, right? Like, so you sit down to eat with someone, you may not love every dish they've prepared, but it lets you know more about that person. That's how I look at music. So every guest on this show is required to pick out three songs that they would like to, uh, to play or to hear. And you've gone back into the old school here. You've gone back into my formative days with this first one, the band 45 Grave. Yeah, yeah. Which I first heard about from the Repo Man soundtrack. Oh, wow. Okay. They have a song on that. Tell me why you like this band and why you chose this song. Well, all three of them. I won't give them away here, but all three of them have been entrance music for Spider Baby. I oh, look at that. I just thought that would be a nice little theme. Well, and to... for people who don't know, Spider Baby is your wrestling name, and we'll get more oh, yeah, we'll, we'll right. get more to that to the origin soon. No, no, no problem. Look, there, there are no rules on this show, as should be evidenced very clearly by now. <laughs> there are no rules on this show, but you've used all of these as entrance music for when you go into the ring to fight another person. Right. When you hear this, the first note of this song, that's when my match starts. Right there.
There's a bright golden haze on the meadow. <laughs> Just kidding. Of course, that is 45 Grave right there, a song called Evil, and I misspoke. It was not on the Repo Man soundtrack. There was another sort of punk-themed movie that was very, very important to me as a teenager called Return of the Living Dead. And 45 Grave was on that particular soundtrack with a song called Party Time. So that right there is entrance music for a wrestler. I really wanted to talk more about your comic career, but yeah, you wrote and contributed to a lot of comics, blah, blah, blah. Oh, well, Very go, exciting. Go ahead. However you want to conduct well, it. That's okay with I, me. I just, you know, 40, 45 Grave put me in a different frame of mind, but let, let's talk at least about your comic career briefly, hear another song, and then I want to spend the rest of the time on your wrestling career. Um, is it still going to this day? Do you still wrestle? Uh, COVID has... Oh, into a state of suspended animation. I suppose that, you know, the suplex and things are sort of uh, those 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 are against <laughs> protocol, aren't I they? Guess so, okay. yes. <laughs> All right. Very good. Well, then let's talk a little bit about comics, because comics meant so much to me growing up. And my daughter works at a store right now that I jokingly referred to as the Androids Dungeon from Simpsons, uh, but they primarily deal with board games and comic books. And so I've gotten back into a few things, even a couple of DC titles, like a Green Lantern title called Far Sector, which I'm enjoying a great deal. How is it that you, after growing up with them and love them, I mean, because everyone's like, oh, I could write a comic book. I could draw a comic book. How do you get involved with actually writing comics for professional giant houses like that? How does that come to pass? That's a great question. I'm going to, I'm going to, one little associative uh, anecdote, if you don't mind. Oh, I don't mind at all. During a, 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 an interview I did a long time ago, I declared myself, after winning a championship, the greatest wrestler of Sector 2814. Which Come on is, now. Which is what Green Lantern, That's Earth is part of the Green Lantern. He's a policeman who's in charge of all sorts of places. Yeah, exactly. And so the host, who's even nerdier than I, or the interviewer, was even nerdier than I would. He took a breath like he was going to ask the question, even though I know he knew the answer. And I just went, I stuck my face right in his nose, and I said, Google it. And, <laughs> just, and, just went, and I went back to my next point. So, talking about Green Lantern sectors, that just sort of brought that one back. Yeah, well, I did. Far Sector, it's, you know, she's been a Green Lantern for a while, but there hasn't been a murder there in 500 years, and suddenly there's a murder, and then she's forced into duty in a way she's never been before. Again, never much of a DC guy because, again, that, uh, what do you call it, the deus ex machina? Sure. Uh, the, the ring that they all have, which can literally do anything. Um, to me, that was always sort of corny, but this story is written so well, and it's so human, and it's so, I don't know, it just it feels very relatable, and I'm enjoying it, and it makes me realize that maybe I was a little too hasty to judge DC <laughs> the way I did back in my youth. But now, back to you, you at some point start writing actual comic books that are getting published. That's a huge deal. How does that even begin to take shape? I got to do one more Green Lantern thing. Okay, go ahead. Get on it. Get on it. Alan Moore, the, the legendary writer, when yeah. he was young and, and starting out and writing for DC Comics, um, the ring, of, there was this new section of space that the Sentinels were not aware of, or the Guardians of the Galaxy, excuse me. Or, no, the, uh, the Guardians. The Guardians. <laughs> I'm getting them all mixed up. I understand. The Guardians. Um, and so uh, they send this one of the, the Green Lanterns, in to recruit a new Green Lantern, but it's a planet that has no sun. There is no light. And so this Green Lantern has to explain the concepts of green and lantern to the, the person who's been chosen for the ring. And it's like, how, how do you... So, so they, they ended up using a bell to, to convey the idea of 
this is how your weapon works. And basically. so does does the the ring charge off the bell, or do they right. still have an actual lantern? It was the F sharp bell. What ended up being instead of a green lantern, because but it was an actual green lantern in the green ring, but they used the bell uh, because this blind character had no point of reference. This if we ever get back to the point where we can all hang out in bars like we used to, and there's ever a comic book trivia night. I have your phone number now. Okay, I'm calling yeah, yeah. I'm calling <laughs> you because holy cowboy. That's that is some deep lore right there. That is that is some of the deepest canon I've uh, ever heard in regards to any particular uh, lore. Like some blues singer in the band. Don't tell the story about the blind green lantern and go with it all something like this. <laughs> Gather around, children. Spider Baby's going to tell a story. So, so now, before we run out of time, you tell me how you started writing comic books. I fell in love with writing. It's a discipline in, in high school. Um, had got, Short stories, romantic poems, ballads. I mean, what were you writing? All, all of those. That's okay. so weird. You were looking over my shoulder the whole time. I was. Well, I was trying to copy off your notes because you were clearly smarter than I was. <laughs> uh, mostly short stories, mostly spooky stuff, a lot of science fiction stuff, too. Like um, Edgar Allan Poe, H.P. Lovecraft kind of stuff? Yes. Yeah? All yes. right, right on. I had a, a character who was a vampire. <laughs> he was a vampire slayer, actually, before... Buffy, but I, I'm pretty sure they came up with that on, on their own. I don't think they needed my help. On <laughs> Again, <that> somebody else <laughs> looking over Terrence's shoulder. It's, it's entirely possible. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Uh, they want to send me 15%. I, I won't object. Oh, even uh, at 3%. That still seems like three. a good take. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, and so uh, when I was writing papers, uh, professors again and again would ask me, can we put this in the library for our major because it's this is exactly what we want our students to uh, your your fellow students to be writing and i thought i must be pretty good at this and i would say hell no you, you pay me first <laughs> really even then no no oh no. god no I was, saying, wow. I was just like, savvy I was, savvy wow me okay if you think so so um that th- that got me thinking in terms of i could do this professionally perhaps and then i had left comics got back into comics and uh, just was so I just fell in love with them the second time more it was sort of like getting remarried you know it's like okay now now we got all our childish stuff out of us and is this late teenhood is this early adulthood where are we at when you start falling back in love with comics yeah I would say around 20 years old okay right on and I I'd left them around 13 14 just because I felt grew up in a small town in, in Minnesota and it was there's was peer pressure frankly and i just felt like oh this is something i'm supposed to outgrow right and so did and then that i got into dungeons and dragons which is far more adult amen brother yeah and then promise uh, me you never had a paladin character i had a paladin character god damn it terrence i had an assassin too (laughs) yeah (laughs) paladins though like just so unplayable and like everyone is like my my alignment's chaotic neutral fuck you nobody at that age knows how to play a chaotic neutral character (laughs) There's just, there's no way. I, 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 now I went deeper on D&D and role-playing games than I did on comics, so I have some very specific thoughts. But again, I also have to grow up and learn to let people do their thing. Allow people to fail and explore the space. <laughs> Allow them to fail spectacularly sometimes. Wow. Yeah, yeah I guess so. 
So, 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 so judgy over here, isn't it? Oh, yeah, you sound like a paladin. It's like, I'm, <laughs> I'm lawful good. You're only chaotic good, little elf boy. Well, no, rough. dude, I was a wood elf every damn time. Wood elf? Yep. Wow. Chaotic good that, every time. Sorry you? I'm not contributing. I was dating during that time where you Oh, you had were, a girlfriend? Yeah, I, oh, I good was for actually you. Well, dating and doing outdoor activities. Yeah, well, nice work and you can get it, <laughs> yeah. I guess. Yeah. As good as that, did you? Uh, <laughs> Dang it. So, I was just trying to relate to some of the audience. Okay? <laughs> so you, oh, I don't care how deeply we nerd out, but we do have to keep an eye on time. You get back into comics. That's a big step from getting back into comics and, and being a good writer to submitting your stuff and getting published. How does that step happen? So I just, it was the dumbest, most ignorant, most beautiful thing where I just looked at the address and, and said, oh, I, I like Batman. I will write to the Batman people. And I just kept writing and writing and uh, this is old-fashioned snail mail, and would occasionally get responses, not really from the Batman people, but um, some very kind people kind of coached me on what to do, and I just, there were a handful of books that were out there as far as how to, the, the actual physical, like what does a script look like kind of thing, and you get those, and I was extremely dedicated to it, like Batman fighting crime, Captain Ahab going after the white whale. I do that one for you, Sean. Just thank because that's, you. That's a, that's, a, that's a classic. I've actually lost weight, but thank you for. <laughs> and so, what's the first thing you get published? Oh, it was uh, Flare First Edition Number Five, published by a very small publisher in uh, Long Beach, California. And Flare being the first character that, uh, or the most popular character, and the one I found least interesting there was a small group of superheroes in a shared universe that kind of thing but i noticed that she was the one who was getting she had three comics of her own i thought if you're going to get published it's it's with flair so i bit the bullet wrote a girl freaking <laughs> 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 bleeders all right oh, whoa, whoa. Sorry. that's what my just friend kidding. dave that's what my friend dave calls it so. just kidding you, you can say anything you want on this show but just remember that's sean and i'm brian okay so any angry Send your mail email. yeah exactly exactly so brian oh no 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 so you start out you start out small independent but at some point you get enough traction you get the attention you get get published by one dc man sure so i uh listen to the way you said that yeah sure dc whatever no, no, I, no, no big deal dude it's a huge deal oh, right i mean especially in your world where you are dedicated you're doing it doing it you're just ramming your head against the wall start to get some inroads you're not alone right there are other people who are doing the same thing uh, and all of a sudden at some point somebody said yeah let's get terrence's story in here this seems good that's yes um and, and it, it was <laughs> That's the great frustration of breaking in, of doing anything dreamy, whether it's radio, whether it's podcasting, whether it's... <laughs> Super dreamy. Uh, but writing, writing is not... I mean, there's a lot of people who imagine themselves writers. Of course, I suppose there are a lot of people who imagine that's, themselves podcasters. That is the problem. That's the thing. And that, yeah. <laughs> that's true, too. Yeah. Yes. That is the great frustration. Uh, there, there's a guy who was the president of Marvel Comics years ago named Bill Jemis, and he put it really well. He said... Um, the door at Marvel is always open, but but the doorway is crowded, and that's true. And I always think, okay, of of you 100 dreamers there, the two that actually have talent, you stay. The other 98, go go do something else, right. please, because right. because 
we're, the other two are going to succeed, but you're just going to make it so much more goddamn hard because... You might make it so they're never heard or well, read. Well, right. That's, every editor has what's called the slush pile, which are these unsolicited submissions. Right. And, and if it were two good people sending them stuff, they would have time, but they'd, they'd look at it. And, of course, you know, editors aren't there to discover talent. They're there to put comics out on time. Right. So they're not, it's their lowest priority, and rightly so. So um, I ended up, excuse me for that, um, I'm going to save that for when I'm a bad guy later on. I have, <laughs> I ha- I have some uh, allergy medicine I for was, you if you'd I've, like. I've heard, I've heard that there's <laughs> rumors <laughs> walking down the streets of South Minneapolis. Everyone's like, <laughs> coming up to me and going, man, you, you, need, you need something? Brian, Brian Oak will fix you up. Yeah, no, Oak's the guy, Oak's man. Oak's the got, guy. We call him Scarface around here. He's got that Claritin D. He's, his name is Oak, and, and he was like a wood elf. <laughs> babies, in, babies in... Southie with the Claritin D. <laughs> exactly. I told So you get in, though. At some point, write, you, you do get in. So I write up for smaller publishers, uh, pester these poor editors at uh, comic book conventions, went to Chicago, went to San Diego, went to all sorts of places, Detroit, all, all, all around, and just you know pestered them into submission. And then finally, um, around 1996, uh, Ted Turner, who owns... Cartoon Network sold, and a lot of other things, sold all of that to AOL Time Warner. And so Scooby-Doo, which had been published by Archie Comics, was now owned by DC Comics. So they're like, well, that doesn't make sense that we, that this giant corporation has its own comic book division and we're subleasing to somebody else. Let's just have them. So it went to, as soon as that license expired, they brought it to DC and I'm guessing what must have happened at some editorial meeting, everyone was like, who is that kid from Minnesota that keeps pestering us all the time? Like, grip <laughs> or something like that? Right. Yeah, yeah. Give him Scooby-Doo just to get him off of our asses, please. And and that was basically how it, it started, where they just they just said, here's, here's something, because it's the same bleeping story every bleeping time. Even this goofball can't screw it up. Go ahead, Grape. Show us, show us what you got. And I'd forgotten that was the first stuff you sent me. You sent me a Scooby-Doo comic that you had done. That's probably true. Yeah. yeah. I don't remember specifically. I don't remember specifically either, but I mean, it's all starting to slowly cascade back. But that was the beginning of you getting in with DC. Um, we got to get to another song here before we run out of time. What are some of the biggest titles that you wrote for in your tenure at DC? DC, it's all... The, the characters that people care about, the nerds like us, um, I've, I've written in various anthologies, so Superman, uh, Batman several times, uh, the Riddler, which was someone I loved as a kid. And mm. when I got the, the comp copies of that from the delivery place, I was in the parking lot just weeping my eyes out. And right. some, some guy was looking, uh, the <laughs> car next to me was looking over like, what, you got like a... Pre- pregnancy test in there? Oh, what's going on with you? you no, it's the Riddler, man. It's the, it's the Riddler. Riddler. You wouldn't understand, man. Well, and now, but when you say that right there, that's something I strongly believe. We're about to hear another song, but that's something I strongly believe is that when I talked about the literate nature of comics when I was growing up, you know, it, it doesn't matter if we're talking about the Riddler. It doesn't matter if we're talking about Fantastic Four. I don't think it matters if we're talking about Scooby-Doo. You know, Casper, who I cast great aspersions on earlier and probably wrongly so, the people who write for those, it's not just like, I mean, people could look at a comic book who've never spent any time with a comic book, right? And think, oh, whatever, blah, 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 ha, 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 boah, I'm evil, here's my plan, I'm going to... 
it's not like that. Writing is writing, right? And so although it takes a different form and the script takes a different nature, the writing in comics, and I will, I'll defend this. You and I are on the same hill on this one. <laughs> the writing in comics is as emotional, as pot- potentially emotional, complex, and interesting as any sort of writing that you're ever going to read. Here, here. Yeah, I just I, I I think that people who never spent any time with comic books would have a tendency to diminish the quality or the the effort or the passion that's involved in what happens there. And I don't care if you're the author, I don't care if you're the illustrator, the inker, the editor, everybody involved in every single episode of a comic and I believe that this continues to this day. Now certainly you'll find people who are just cranking out any shit they could get their hands on, but at its best it is, in fact, a, a pure and beautiful art form that I've appreciated my entire life. And at its best, every single person at every step of the way, ideally, when you find something perfect, they give a shit. They care. This matters to them. This is their art. I, I, I really view it as a public trust. You know, I, I feel like when I'm writing Superman, I don't own Superman. Superman belongs to everyone, and it's something I'm caretaking, uh, it being the concept, not not. Superman's a he. It's right there in his name. I understand. You know, yeah, I understand. Yeah. I get to call him Cal, by the way. His, oh, his Kryptonian we name. We're pretty tight. Yeah. But <laughs> it's it's you're right. It's it's more it isn't just hackery. And, and but although there are hacks. Well, there are hacks, but I think people who th- when they think of comic books, <laughs> they think of a lesser art form. They don't even think of it as an art form. They think of something that's going to entertain a 6-year-old while they're sitting <laughs> in the back seat of the car. And at its finest, it's not unlike video games, in my humble opinion. Sure. Many people who've never played a video game don't realize the level of art, the level of creativity from art direction to the storyline, to the voice acting that goes into it. I think that there is a great, great mass of people out there that don't have a proper appreciation for what is being created when it comes out. You could say the same thing about pro wrestling, too. Yeah, well, and we're going to talk about pro wrestling just ahead. Pro wrestler Spider Baby is our guest today. But first, let's go ahead and hear one more song. Now, here you've picked one of my favorite artists of all time. I want to know, oh, because walk-on song. Is that why you picked Pink? Oh, uh, n- yes. It's all about you, Brian. Absolutely. No, was, no. Your walk-on <laughs> song. That's why I'm asking. <laughs> just kidding. Why you picked Pink. <laughs> this was a song I picked when I was, I had been a good guy wrestler for a number of years and then i turned back into a bad guy and this is a the villain this is a breakup song and 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 yet the the irony of the song is the character is saying i'm i'm over it i'm over it but you can tell the singer she's not over it you know and, and so i'm like i so what i don't need you guys but obviously i care a lot about them or i wouldn't have <laughs> broken up with them in the first place
Oh, yeah. That's Pink on the Brian Oak Show, made possible not only by Smart Start MM, but also by Sean Bernard, who is a realtor for Edina Realty, 50th and France location. How's life in the realty world? It's good. You know, we need listings right now. That's pretty obvious, but it doesn't mean that there aren't any listings out there. It's just that there are a lot less. There's a lot of people that I think have spent the last 13 months at home and they're not sure what to do next. And there's a lot of people that aren't listening because they're so worried that they're not going to be able to find the next place. But kind of like the stock market, it's not a bad idea to uh, buy low and sell high if you can. In my situation, we sold our house at the peak of the market. We're going to rent for a little while, and then we're going to buy after the fact because we're also going through that particular change in life where our son is graduating from high school. He'll be going off to college, and we won't need a three-bedroom house or four-bedroom house anymore. So we're going to downsize after that. We just have to decide condo or townhouse or real house. Oh, because you don't want to mow the lawn anymore. Never, ever, ever again. I or shovel a sidewalk ever, ever again. I can't disagree with That's that. That's the goal. Yeah, my no, my dad is in the same boat. He he's like, No, I'll never own a home again. And I'm like, I get it. I just I guess I've owned the same home for so long I can't imagine any different life. Yeah. I love where you live too. That's I'd love to live right in that little neighborhood. So six one two eight five nine two five nine four. I'm also doing something new this year where we're donating a portion of every sale, whether it's on the buy side or sell side, to a local artist or musician. Very good. Sean Bernard right there. Our guest today is Terrence Greep, a.k.a. Spider Baby, professional wrestler. Terrence, uh, you know, uh, having just met face-to-face for the first time, pardon me. And how are you at home? Or? Yeah, no, it's fine. Um, but that's having... a smart start to this guy. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, no. That's, uh, I don't know what that was exactly. Um, <laughs> the uh, indigestion. And um, you are also, in addition to the other things you've done, a professional wrestler. You have been wrestling since when? When did you first catch the wrestling bug? I became a commentator in 2001, and I started wrestling in 2003. Now, growing up, you know, Minnesota and Texas, if I if I understand my wrestling history accurately, wrestling was something that happened everywhere, professional wrestling. But Minnesota and Texas were sort of the early strongholds, right? I mean, if it weren't for the success of professional wrestling in Minnesota and in Texas, it doesn't cross over like it does in the late 80s and early 90s. Would you say that's fairly accurate? Um, incomplete, but accurate, yes. Okay. I would also mention New York, and there, there are so many. I, it, it was happening everywhere, as I said, but yeah. I mean, with the AWA here and the, the huge families, and, and I, it seemed to me those were the first two places that I ever heard about it becoming wildly popular. Yeah. And, you know, it obviously it happened all over. There were people who toured. This was going on for a very long time. But then it sort of changed. I remember as a Cub Scout when I was a kid, one of our, you know, monthly retreats would be we would go watch AWA wrestlers. I got to see oh, really? I got to see the Iron Sheik live, oh, you know. I wow. Bean Gene Okerlund, I <laughs> I've seen that guy live in person, I don't know, eight or nine times by going down yeah. to the old studios, the Ele- Channel 11 studios at NBC to to watch that go down. But then it starts to transform and suddenly there are superstars. It's on national television. It's it's not just a localized phenomenon. It crosses over was that part of your youth? Yes. And I'll, I'll deep dive on the wrestling, too. I bet you saw, you saw Sheik Adnan LKC, who was different. Oh, than not the, the Iron Sheik. Different than the Iron You're exactly Sheik. right. Yes. Who was the Russian guy? I mean, these were guys portrayed to be villains. There was a... Uh, uh, oh. There was a Boris Sukov later. Maybe. Uh, um, this would have been in the Chris, 70s. Baron Von Raschke. No, he was different. Oh. He was the eye gouge guy. Oh, okay. Um 
Might have saw Larry the Axe Henning once, but anyway, <laughs> you, at some point, wrestling becomes an important... In addition to enjoying reading comic books and digging into sci-fi, wrestling becomes important to you so much, though, that you pursue being a commentator and then at some point decide, you know what? I can do this. I can do a flying leg kick. Sure. So, yes. Um, apparently, I have some real aversion to reality because I'm just... <laughs> <laughs> That's good. Alternate That's good. versions of it. Yeah, look around. For <laughs> yeah, Christ. yeah. Shouldn't we all at this point? Oh, yes. Um, so, uh, yes, I fell in love with wrestling at an early age as well. And, and it's not lost on me that in superhero comics and pro wrestlers, larger than life figures, often clad in spandex, stories of good versus evil. Correct. There are parallels that are pretty obvious. And I, I wasn't thinking in terms of, wow, that guy reminds me of Batman, that wrestler, or anything like that. Right. But, but I'm. I can't imagine that's a coincidence. Um, so as a writer, I was, <clears throat> excuse me, I was working. I just, I made that noise to make you feel I appreciate less, that. less self-conscious. About We're going to edit in several more. Less, less gassy. Demonic belch or whatever <laughs> that Linda Blair would blush. <laughs> nice. <laughs> so um, I was a writer and uh, my writing was drying up and I realized I had never looked at the local market. I was always writing for, for companies uh, on usually on the East Coast, West Coast. And I thought, why don't I look around here? So I uh, found a wrestling promotion that was looking for a color commentator. I thought, and they were on TV. Obviously, they wouldn't need a color commentator otherwise. I thought, okay, so what I'm going to do is I'm going to get that job, and then I'm going to network with the people, the TV production people, and maybe they can put me in touch with, with writing work. As convoluted as that sounds, it wasn't a terrible plan. And uh, did the commentary at this particular place that doesn't exist anymore. It was called Midwest Pro Wrestling. I liked its modesty. I liked its humility. Not Universal Wrestling Federation or Galactic Wrestling or something like that. <laughs> right. Just Midwest. We're right. just sticking to the central time zone. So um, uh, they were also doing training. And so I suggested, why don't I take some training so that... Uh, I can interview, as a bad guy commentator, I can interview good guys and they can give me a punch or a kick or something and not actually kill me. Right. <laughs> okay. Well, so that's a good Because, idea. I mean, the narrative and the storytelling and the presentation is an important part of it. Like, you're interviewing someone, you get them a little hot, and because it's wrestling, they give you a chop across the chest right. and knock you down to add to right. the, the drama and the and the narrative. There's nothing fake about the chops, by the way. Those I don't. Are just, oh, I never said it was fake. No, I, I know you did. E- even just, if it's scripted, those are still real drops and I'm real just falls. Referencing and, my own, th- there, there's no way to train for that. I you're understand. Just, right. Just, you take the chop. You take a frying pan to your chest, <laughs> and all of the air exits your body, and and as in a passive aggressive way, stays out for about 90 seconds. Right. So, uh, uh, I mentioned this at a convention at the big. Comic-Con in San Diego, I'm on a panel called Gays in Comics. I wonder why. And <laughs> someone from Out Magazine approaches me and says, I would like to do an article on you. That turns into a bunch of publicity uh, that, that focused on my training. So then my debut gets covered by Fox News locally and a bunch of other people all, all around. There's like a punk magazine in Chicago and just all these oddly, <laughs> right. oddly specific venues. Well, let's be honest. And you know, an out gay wrestler or at this point commentator before Spider Baby is born, that's not commonplace, right? Right. And, and the out part being being pivotal. Right. It, it wasn't then. It, it's much more common now. Right. But Out Magazine did a lot of research, and they they, as far as being openly gay, I was the, the first. Right. And I, and I always avoid 
that generally speaking, because then people will say, well, there was Pat Patterson, who was a guy who worked for WWE, and everybody right. knew he was gay, but he never came out until a few years ago. And so, so I'm just like, I don't want to have that discussion. Yeah, no. it's just I'm, well, I it's am not, it's not, not, it's not the most important part of the story. <laughs> right, that's right, just right, right, right. Yeah. Yeah, I got it. Oh, so anyway, so um, uh, then we all, were all surprised to discover that I had a real penchant for cheesing off large groups of drunken white people. <laughs> Good man. Which is gold in pro wrestling That's on the, the indie whole scene. Bit, right? Yes, yeah. yes. All right, now, before we run out of time, I got to know, how is Spider Baby born? How, I mean, where where do you come up with the name Spider Baby and the persona of what you're going to do? So, uh, walking through a sporting goods store in Hopkins, Minnesota, well before I got into wrestling, walking through the outerwear, as, as it's called, um, in ski jackets. Oh, yeah. And they have the S-P-Y-D-E-R gear, which is all beautifully designed. Looks really cool. Right. And I say to myself, Thought Bubble, Spider Baby, that would be a great name for a wrestler. And literally did a 360, like, where the hell did that come from? Right. Went home. Uh, this was before devices. And so Googled um, Spider Baby. I'm like, that has to be something. I've, I've seen it somewhere. There's a, a movie, Lon Chaney's last movie that I had never heard of. Right. A British punk band and a young goth woman who did pornographic requests were the only three Spider Babies. I'm I like, see. We can safely eliminate that, that third one for Shersies, <laughs> but I. <laughs> and that was it. And so I, I was, I, it, it was, might be the only uh, genuine inspiration I have ever had in, in what we'll laughably call my creative career. And uh, when when I got the job as a commentator, I'm like, okay, I know what to call myself. Fantastic. And so from there, you go on to fighting. And again, we've got precious few moments left, but it's... Well, it, that's why I'm talking like an auctioneer. No, no, here. I understand. I understand. And I, I you know, we're going <laughs> to we're, we're gonna have to have you come back and do one that's totally focused on this because I want to talk about what it's like as a wrestler, right? Because I think there are two schools of thought, right? Which I believe we could do a whole show on where, oh, it's all fake. It's all written. It's all this. It's all that. And other people who who embrace the narrative, who embrace the action, who embrace the, if you will, fantasy. And that's not me demeaning the physical acumen that is required to do what wrestlers do. There, There's sort of, I think there's a Venn diagram there, but there are some people who, who dismiss it outright, you know, who dismiss it oh, as, as silly, as, as showmanship, as some sort of carnival thing. But when you look at the decades and decades and decades long legacy of professional wrestling and that it still exists and were it not for COVID and the no touchy rule that's going on right now, it would still be just as strong as it ever was. Um, that's fascinating. If people want to know more about Spider Baby, what's the number one place for them to go? Facebook.com slash The Spider Baby. And because I'm a marketing genius, yes. Twitter.com slash The Spider Baby. Look at that. How is that? Universal. Well, it's pretty solid. You know how many hammer locks I had to do to get both of those? Dude, and I, that's, I wanted to talk about hammer locks. I wanted to talk about signature moves, but we are literally out of time. Um, will you come back and do a, a strictly a rep? I mean, I want to go back and I want to talk about, you know, Ric Flair. And I want to talk about Rowdy Roddy Piper. And I want to talk about some of the newer school guys. I want to talk about regional wrestling we just don't have the time today will you please come back and join me sometime and do a wrestling specific episode i'll see you tomorrow
Okay, well, tomorrow's a little soon. Tomorrow's a little soon, but we will set it up for the not-too-distant future. Yes, thank Terrence, you for having me in the first place. Terrence Green, thank, thank you very much. And before we say goodbye, I do need to thank AudioQuip. We need to thank SmartStartMN. Thank you, Sean Bernard. Thank you, Brian Oak. I'll talk to you soon. Uh, and thanks to all of our Patreon supporters, without whom we wouldn't have the beautiful Smart Start MN studio here in historic and scenic South Minneapolis. Before we say our final goodbye, Terrence, uh, this last song you've chosen is scary. Yes, it's uh, the theme from Salem's Lot. Yeah. It was um, music I chose for a tag team that I was a part of. Ian, the X-Man Xavier, who was a brawler, much different wrestler than I. Um, our name, I think you'll appreciate, was Glam Slam. I nice. like it. <laughs> and I always tell people, but you have to decide who's the glam and who's the slam. <laughs> yeah. Of course. And so this music was designed, um, in my mind anyway, Either one of us could come out individually and it would fit us. As different as we were, this music is, is what united us. And those spooky windows, fog scenes in, in Salem's Lot, those are the ones that turn me gay. <laughs> so I feel a real resonance <laughs> with, with this there, particular everybody work. Everybody has their story. There's nothing else I can <laughs> That's add That's a to secret that. origin. Thanks. Oh, I love it. Thanks for tuning in to the Brian Oak Show, episode 153. Thanks, Terrence. Thank you.